This is HEC Media. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Now, after the initial weeks of the coronavirus global shutdown, we were able to set up remote video interviews with many authors. Sound quality might be slightly different than our previous podcasts, but they still contain the same great content that you've come to expect. Today, our guest is journalist, broadcaster, and New York Times bestselling writer, Joan London. We spoke with her via Zoom in October of 2020 about her newest book, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A Candid Conversation About Aging by publisher Forefront Books. Joan London was a co-host on Good Morning America for 17 years in the 80s and 90s and is currently a special correspondent at NBC. And among many other things, she's written eight books as well. In her most recent book, Why Did I Come Into This Room?, she takes on the subject of aging, specifically in women, and how the seldom-discussed issues associated with getting older leave so many women feeling isolated. You kind of feel like it's just happening to you and there's something wrong with you. Like, why do I have a leaky bladder? Oh my gosh, why do I don't not have a waistline anymore? Why can't I lose weight like I used to? These are all pre-programmed natural things that happen to every woman. And then there are fixes for a lot of these things. And if so, if we don't ever talk to our gynecologist or our primary physician, we won't ever find those out. From minor aches and pains to major health issues, this new book reflects many of the issues she's dealt with, but handled with a sense of humor. We'll hear more about the book and life experience of journalist, broadcaster, and best-selling writer Joan London on this edition of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Victoria Babu. Well, Joan London, um, I know a lot of our listeners remember you from Good Morning America and ABC. And of course, all the things you're doing now, being an elder advocate, we see you on the commercials for a, a place called home, isn't that what it was called? A place, place called, for mom. A place for mom. A place, mom. place for mom. And then you're doing some commercials now as well. Is for, it for Medicare? Yeah, it's for assurance. It's for Medicare. Medicare is so complicated. Um, so I'm working with a company that they just kind of go down through it all and just make sure that you're getting the most coverage, but paying the least amount that you need to pay. Anything I can do to help boomers and seniors, that's kind of you know, been a passion of mine, having gone through taking care of my mom and making all the mistakes along the way. Um, and then just in this new world of ours, where we're all still so active, engaged in life, but we're still having to figure out social security, like, okay, I'll sign up for it. Uh, and Medicare. Well, that's where I am. I'm in my early 60s. Okay. Uh, but I have to tell you, I'm going to go back a little bit in time because right. I feel personal kinship to you because as I was starting my career in broadcasting, uh, going from radio as a teenager and college, my first TV jobs, I always have done morning news. So while you were doing your national and ABC Good Morning America, and I worked for an ABC affiliate, basically three different, all three affiliates in different markets and ended up in St. Louis. I mean, I was the first in the newsroom to have a baby in the 80s. So as I'm having a baby, you're having a baby. I'm having a baby. <laughs> I loved it. And for you, I'm telling you, Joan, for you to bring home or bring into the uh, station 
and to the network and to the studios and behind the scenes, your firstborn, that yeah. was that was a game changer for our industry yeah. and for women in general. So I thank you for being a trailblazer. Thank you. You know, I just did that because um, I was sitting in my little cubicle in the local WABC New York newsroom. My phone rang and it was my gynecologist telling me that I was pregnant with my first child. And, and then like 30 minutes later, I got the call from my attorney saying that I had gotten the job as co-host of Good Morning America. Like within 30 minutes, it was delight and dilemma. <laughs> and they really wanted to make a change and get a new co-host in. I was literally leaving on maternity leave, but we made our deal. And I said, you know, I went back and I think my little Jamie, who's now just turned 40, I think she was like maybe seven weeks old. So um, they wanted me to get into that seat bad enough um, that ABC said, you can bring the baby to work with you. I don't even know if they realized what they were getting themselves into, but I said, I'm breastfeeding. I'll come back, but I'm breastfeeding. And there's this thing that the baby needs to be with you if you're breastfeeding. This is when you shouldn't even say breast in a meeting with a bunch of men. <laughs> and they said, okay, bring the baby along. We'll give you a little room. You can put, you know, somebody in there to watch the baby while you're on the air. And I said, but if I have to go on any stories and sure enough, you know, later that, that next year, uh, Jamie was not even quite, I guess she had just turned one. And I was off to London to cover the wedding of, Prince Charles to Lady Diana, and I took Jamie along with me. Um, I'm not going to say it was easy all the time, but I just kind of put one foot in front of the other back then. And as a working mom with a brand new baby, um, I know that we changed norms all over throughout every corporation, not just television, because I, I've heard from all those women over the years, um, I was just kind of living my life, you know, as a as a young woman trying to figure out how you keep a very high profile job and have a child at the same time. But you did have that national platform, and I give ABC credit for uh, you know I do too sharing into that because I wasn't I they were all great behind the scenes, but they weren't as gracious <laughs> and accommodating on the local level. It yeah. took a little bit longer. And, you know, I, I have to say early mornings were a great way to raise a child. And I had a laugh because <laughs> in this book, you do go back and mention how once you left early mornings, how <laughs> you're like, oh, gee, I thought I missed so much getting the kids ready for school. Oh, that really wasn't a big deal. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally relate. I, I laughed so many times in the book. And you've got such a great wit. But, you know, I look now at your family. Okay, so who would have thought then that, okay, fast forward, you know, life goes on. Okay, div a divorce happens. You remarry a guy 10 years younger, way to go. And then, and then, again, another trailblazer in your early 50s, you have two sets of twins. Now, I've kind of been at the head of the... <laughs> curve on this but you know I got married when I was 29 yeah. the first time and I married a guy who was 39 didn't work out but yeah and, and he was in the business too which 20 years <laughs> later when I was 49 I got married again and again I married a guy who was 39 <laughs> I love it I love it but you've always exuded such um happiness and uh, you know, no matter what was going around you, I remember, and you've written eight books, and I think I read your autobiography moons ago. It just stuck with me because you were very transparent before Oprah made it transparent, to be honest. And I and I remember reading, and it stuck with me all these years, how you said, 
you're going, as you're going through this trauma, going through divorce, and you're still having to go on the air. And you just said, yeah, I could cry in my car. But when I was on the air, I was yep. a professional and I gave it my all. And as a young broadcaster, that stuck with me. And it's true. It's Good. all people see is, you know, Joan or Victoria talking to them. Right. But you know what, Victoria, it's, you know, this last book I wrote, which was about aging, right. um, because a long, long, long time ago, right after I'd written the next two books, uh, healthy cooking, healthy living. They were both bestsellers. And so a publisher comes back to you and says, okay, write another book. And you feel like you've squeezed every last thought out of your brain. Um, and I looked, I remember when I looked at my, my book agent one day and said, what am I going to write about next? He said, you will always write about that, which you want to know more about. And it was so true because when I left Good Morning America, I wrote a book about change. A bend in the road is not the end of the road. When I went through a cancer battle, I wrote, had I known all about that memoir of survival. So then I came to this book and I thought, so what am I dealing with now? Aging. Yep. And, and is that something that the, a huge segment of our population, 76 million baby boomers, and forget the ones after that, all the seniors, this is like a huge topic. And then I really started to think about it. And I thought, you know, we overshare everything on social media these days, but right. somehow we don't talk about these things that women go through as they age. I don't know why they should be taboo subjects. Um, not much else is taboo in today's world. But when women start to age and their estrogen starts to go down, and that's why we experience aging so much differently than men, when that estrogen starts plummeting, things happen. And if you if these aren't things that we're all talking about comfortably out here in the open, you kind of feel like it's just happening to you and there's something wrong with you. Like, oh my gosh, like why, why do I have a leaky bladder? Oh my gosh, why do I don't not have a waistline anymore? Oh my gosh, why can't I sleep at night? Why can't I lose weight like I used to? Right. These are all pre-programmed natural things that happen to every woman. And I don't, that's a terrible path to go down because when you go down that path, you go from what's wrong with me to I'm not as appealing, I'm less sexy, pretty soon you're at I'm less relevant. And then you kind of close yourself off to all kinds of opportunities that would still be open to you because of the way you feel about how you're aging. So I wanted to throw it all out there. And of course, I knew I'd have to do it with a sense of humor. Yeah, and you do. You have such a great wit and humor about <laughs> talking about these things. And, 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 and also, you talk about uncomfortable sex, too, which, yeah. I mean, trust me, that's not something my mom and I ever sat down and chatted oh, about. absolutely not. My, our, my mother's generation never would have talked about mm -hmm. any of this. But the problem is, is that if we don't acknowledge these things and say, wait a minute, it's not just you. There's not something wrong with you. This is what happens to all women. And I tried to give the reason for them. Why do these things happen? And then there are fixes for a lot of these things. And if so, if we don't ever talk to our gynecologist or our primary caregiver, uh, uh, physician, we won't ever find those out unless you read the book, of course. Of course. <laughs> and it's so many great things. One thing that I, I want to talk about that you wouldn't, weren't able to put in the book because I think it came out in March. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Okay. So back in March... Our world changed because COVID came yeah. out, quarantined. So here we are, I, you know, so I'm looking at this going, okay, uh, I'm over 60. 
check. All right. Oh, I am a high risk because I have an autoimmune disease, which my lungs are compromised now because of this. Mm -hmm. So great. Now I'm high risk. So you're 70, a breast cancer survivor. How did you handle COVID uh, with not only that, you've got children and teenagers in the house and grandchildren. So how has COVID affected you and what advice do you give folks? Because we're still in it. So, you know, a page out of John Lennon's playbook. Um, yes, I am definitely at risk for a number of reasons. I had several double viral lung infections a few years ago, and I have a little asthma, and of course, my age. And uh, so I was really, I mean, I've been very, very careful. But at the same time, I thought, I'm not just going to sit around. These are decisions we make. Happiness is a choice. Boredom is a choice. And so like, a week went by and I started doing Facebook lives every day at one o'clock. And my husband, after a while, said, I don't get it. Like every time I see you, you're on the phone, you're booking a guest, you're researching, you're writing interviews, you're on the air. Like, why are you doing this? You're, it's not a job of yours. And I said, because I'm good at it, because it's fun, <laughs> because I'm not bored. Everybody's talking about being bored. I'm not bored. Um, and I did it up until the summer. And then I, then everyone was like, you can't take the summer off. And I said, oh, yeah, because I'm also a, it's not all work and no play. Right. You know, you have to have, you have to plan your life. Um, and I think that's one of the big things. My mom told me when I was a little girl, always have plans. She said, I always plan a part. Of course, she would say, I always plan a party once a year at the house. So I really clean the house. <laughs> And it's true. He's so right. She said, that's what keeps life exciting is to have plans because half the fun is anticipating it and getting ready for it. And I think that's really important when you reach your 50s and 60s. Don't think that it's just over. There's no need to check out, but there is a need to have a lot of plans. Think about what your life has been. Was there something that you wish you would have done that you didn't do? Um, do you wish you would be a different kind of person? I talk about this in the book. It's just not about leaky bladders and loss of libido. I talk about getting to this pivot point where we have this opportunity to kind of allow ourselves to exhale, right? look back, say, you know what? I made it through a lot of challenges and I'm here I am to be able to appreciate our past, appreciate the people in our life, accept who we are now and plan for our future, because if you don't plan, you might end up bored. Um, there's there's nothing so more things people can do even during the during the pandemic. Well, one of the things you did mention, you've got you give tools for all of us yeah. uh, through the book about what we can do. It's not just not, just not information. And you say you you go to the experts, but you always say these these are other things you can do. And one of them is um, you know get outside and breathe in the air and get oh. some sunshine. Because I can't imagine how many people felt isolated and still do through this uh, COVID. Yeah, it's led to a lot of depression. And one of the best things for depression or just high stress anxiety is to get outdoors. And it sounds so simplistic that it's almost hard to give it as advice, but being outdoors and breathing in fresh air and having the sunshine, especially in the morning hours, if you get that sunshine in the morning hours, it can really help you go to sleep at night because a lot of people have had trouble sleeping because of all this. Um, I mean, what I wanted to give in the book, besides all the expert advice that I gleaned from all the research that I did, I wanted to give small changes 
that are somewhat easy to make that make a huge impact right. on your health right. and on your longevity. You know, it's like I was out to dinner last night with my mother-in-law. It was their anniversary, their 65th anniversary. Wow. She met Congratulations him. Congratulations to them. Wow. Um, and she does it. And she had gone to the doctor because she needs some surgery. And she said, I'm low in electrolytes. I said, well, then you're not drinking water. She said, that's the same thing the doctor said to me. I said, Janie, I see it all the time. You don't drink water. And I said, it's critically important to your health. Got mine yep, right here. Here we go. Yep, thank you. Here we go. See? Now, I'm going to admit that I'm not a good water drinker, but I had to learn to become one when I was going through chemo because right. it's really important that you flush the chemo out, that you keep your veins, you know, plump. And so um, my fitness instructor gave me... These little um, plastic thin bracelets, you get them on Oriental Trading, like a hundred for seven dollars or something. And I put like 10 of them on my right wrist because we're really not honest with ourselves. Like you can ask me how many glasses of water have you had today? And I'd say probably two. The truth is I poured two, (laughs) but I've only had one. But we're not really honest with ourselves. So every time I'd actually consumed a glass of water, I'd put that one on the other arm. And I learned real quick that I'd often have seven of them still on my right arm at six (laughs) o'clock at night. Note to self, don't try to make up that water at six o'clock at night. (laughs) And that's the other part of when we talk about getting up. My my time is 2.30 or 3 in the morning. I always make that beeline to the bathroom. And there's there's an art to just trying to go right back to bed. And oh, it's it's just awful. So So, you, if you haven't read that part of the book, that is the time of night that our liver is having its time to take care of itself. And often, and one of the things that it needs, um, we deplete during the day uh, because we are filled with adrenaline because we're anxious and we're going through all this stress. And then at three o'clock in the morning, you wake up because your body is, your your liver is trying to do its job, but it needs, and I forget the name of this certain thing. And in order to produce that, it creates adrenaline. So it's that adrenaline that's waking you up. So stress management. Yes. <laughs> and, you, and, and you address it. And I do sleep. Yes. Yes. It's a great read. And it's, it's, again, it's so fun. And it's not I want people to understand it's not real clinical. You insert your own story. So again, we don't feel alone. Coming up next, our guest Joan London gets even more personal about some of her health issues with getting older and how she dealt with an unexpected diagnosis of cancer from her regular doctor after a mammogram. I was not so inclined to go get a second opinion on my cancer diagnosis. And my daughters who were in their 30s said, oh no, you are going to get a second opinion. And I went and got one. And of course, the problem with second opinions is that you actually get a second opinion. But, you know, it's very important when you have a a huge chronic illness, something really that's life and death. In this day and age, there's so much new technology and information and research. You would be remiss if you didn't go and seek out other opinions. That and how her father's life's work helped lead her to become an advocate for health for all people in her generation, plus more when Talking With Authors continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. 
And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. So I want to go back a little bit in time. I It was so weird as I was uh, getting ready for the interview. I looked back and I, I popped on Facebook. I was promoting you on a radio show I was doing back in 2013. I'm like, oh, tune in. Talking with Joan London about healthy living because I did a health and lifestyle show on a radio show that I was part of. And then we go a year later in 2014. And that's when the oh. doctor tells you those dreaded words, you've got cancer. So please share why you have said in other platforms that this diagnosis was one of the best things that ever happened to you. Explain in what okay. ways has, has this been good, good for you? I mean, people have a hard time hearing that, but I mean, it really is true. Nobody wants to hear those words. You have cancer. And, and, uh, you know, I was like one of those people that says, Hey, I eat right. I exercise. I don't really have it in my family. Um, had I known that less than 15% of women diagnosed with breast cancer ever had a family history, I wouldn't have been Right. So, you know, nonchalant. However, my dad was a doctor. He was a cancer surgeon. And everywhere we would go, his patients would meet us in the street or in a restaurant, and they would embrace him and say, thank you for saving my life or my wife's life. And, you know, they would bend down like to get eye to eye with me as a little girl. And they'd yeah. say, do you know how important your daddy is to our family? Wow. And I grew up saying, I want to be like that. I want to be a doctor. Um, I want to help people stay healthy. Um, then the summer before college, I went to work in a hospital um, that my dad had helped to found and build. And I found out real quick, stitches, scalpels, that was not happening in my yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. But my dad was um, a pretty renowned cancer surgeon back in those days. And he would speak at cancer conventions all over. And, you know, fly, he was an avid private pilot. So he would fly to other cities and assist in difficult surgeries. And coming back from one of those conventions, he crashed and was killed at only 51 years old. And I think that made me more, I just felt like I should do something to carry on his legacy. And I, it was always kind of like a nagging little regret in the back of my mind. Although I think that journalism, being a broadcaster and disseminating health information, um, I always felt that that also was kind of following his footsteps. But boy, when I got diagnosed with cancer, it took about 24 hours for me to realize you just got an incredible opportunity dropped in your lap. You can, I shared every step of my journey, taking my phone and showing what radiation looked like, having them explain the little things that you should know about it, going into chemotherapy, talking about, you know, just before you get what's called the red devil, um, that that push of the, the really, really strong chemo put ice chips in your mouth so that it um, constricts the blood vessel so you don't get all those horrible sores in your mouth. Just little things all the way along. Then I really got into it and started going to Washington and really was lobbying for women um, to get mandatory mammogram reporting because women didn't know if they had dense breast or not. Mm -hmm. And half of the women in America have dense breast tissue. And if you have that, you need more than a mammogram. I got a clean 3D mammogram that day, wow. a clean 3D, wow. because as I've now been told by the experts, cancer shows up as white on a mammogram and so does dense tissue. So it's kind of like looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. So I just felt it incumbent upon me to go out and spread the word and empower women with this kind of information. And in so doing, I really was carrying on my dad's legacy. Yeah. Yes. I got the opportunity to do that. 
And, you know, at the end of my life, if that little dash, if that's what it's all about, I'm super happy with that. So it was a gift. Yes. And you never know what life you save because I just think it goes back to what you always talk about. Just getting, you know, your body best. Don't be afraid to talk yeah. to the doctor, have your questions ready. Yeah. Um, all these things that we need to be proactive. And, um, you know, I think, and I think maybe, maybe we baby boomers get it, but maybe the older uh, yeah. generation doesn't. Well, you're totally right on that because they lived in the time where my dad was a doctor and my dad, you know, I didn't really ever know him as a, I was never an adult to know right. him. Yeah. I was were 13? 13 years old. Yeah. When he was killed. So I went back and this is something I recommend to everyone. I went back to my hometown and I made appointments with people who worked with my dad, other doctors and nurses. And some of those were also just really good uh, social friends of his. And I interviewed all of them. And I asked them what my dad was like as an adult and as a, in the operating room and then in the office. And if I hadn't done that, I never would have known so many incredible, wonderful things. And one of the things I remember that one doctor said, your dad, you know, he would back in those days, house calls were $5, office calls were $2. Can you imagine? No. He said your dad <laughs> would go to a family. And of course, he knew exactly what their risks were because he took care of the aunt, the uncle, the grandparents. And if they needed medication, he would often write that um, prescription out, but knowing that they didn't have the money to get that prescription and knowing that they had to take this medicine, he would slip money underneath the prescription and leave it by the phone. Oh, and I, you know, I would never have known these things, oh. but that was an era where you believed your doctor. You didn't go for a second opinion. Right. You believed everyone, you believed the politicians. And life is very different today. And it makes seniors an incredibly vulnerable population. Yes. And in this day and age, you know, I must say, I was, uh, I was not so inclined to go get a second opinion on my cancer diagnosis because I still kind of come from that generation. Yep. And my daughters who are in their 30s said, oh, no, you are going to get a second opinion. And I went and got one. And, of course, the problem with second opinions is that you actually get a second opinion. And it's very different. But, you know, it's very important when you have a, a huge chronic illness, something really that's life and death, um, like cancer or cardiovascular disease. In this day and age, there's so much new technology and information and research coming down the pike that it is a good idea. It's fact, you would be remiss if you didn't go and seek out other opinions. It's about empowering. You mentioned this throughout yes. the book. Um, there's simple things I want to share with everyone. One thing I want to talk about, dieting and weight. That's been one of my nemesis my whole career. I don't know if it's because we were on TV that we're, we're more sensitive to it, but it's always been a challenge for me as well. So back in the day, I ran a lot. Can't do that anymore. Now I walk, play golf, pickleball. How important is it for us to move, even those of us who might have arthritis oh issues? So it is so important that we move for so many different reasons, um, obviously for our heart and to maintain our weight. And maintaining our weight is really important, um, but it's also for our brain. Yes. And, you know, when I did the research about the brain and I learned that, you know, they used to think that your hippocampus, that part of your brain, that's your memory and your ability to remember a word or where you parked your car when you walked out of the mall. Um, or, or like I did the other day, I, let, I couldn't find my keys. And I'm not kidding you, Joan. I found them in the pantry inside of a licorice bag. <laughs> my car keys. Yes. 
And I thought, oh, my Lordy, this is scary. I was like, oh, you know what? This is, this is, I knew that, that I think that's the scariest part of all the things that happen to us as we age, which is why I called the book, Why Did I Come Into This Room? If you're 20 and you walk into a room and you can't remember, like, you don't care. But if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, like, you're sure that it's the beginning of something bad. And by the way, the good news is that it's usually not. It's usually age-appropriate forgetfulness. And the reason why is that researchers used to believe that um, our hippocampus started shrinking in our 60s. They have now discovered it starts shrinking at about age 30. Really? It shrinks a little bit over time. But there are things we can do. They also thought that we were born with like 300 billion neurons and that was it. And they just started deteriorating over time. Now we know that that's not true, that neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons continues to happen, especially if we create neurons. And we can do that by challenging our brain. It can be anything, but learning something new is the most important. But the best way is exercise, cardio, cardio, aerobic exercise, because that pumps nutrients and oxygen and blood up to our brain. And those neurons that are um, created are the most adept at connecting to our central system and slowing down cognitive decline. And as soon as I really embraced that concept, I couldn't wait to put my sneakers on because now I was going to go out and do that power walk, <laughs> make sure I kept my cognitive thinking, not just to try to stay in the jeans and button them. <laughs> right. And, and you say, one thing you said is part of that is staying engaged with, with life. You know, you mentioned joining clubs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you wake up in the morning, you mentioned you want someone to talk to, uh, you know, being active. I think we women are pretty good about that, aren't we? Or do we still need a little uh, kick? You know, uh, Seniors aren't because they grew up in a world, but even us, us boomers, we grew up in a world where we heard thousands and thousands of hours that become programming that that play in the back of our head. Oh, help Uncle Charlie out of the chair. He's retired now. He can't get out. Slow down. Aunt Harriet's getting old. She can't keep up anymore. And that's what plays in the back of our head. And what that is, is it's, it's this theory that as we age, we're going to decline and deteriorate. But in today's world, that Uncle Charlie's probably going to bound out of that chair so he doesn't miss his, his one-on-one workout at the gym. Right. And, you know, Aunt Harriet might still be doing 5Ks at, you know, at a breast cancer race. So it is a different world. However, we have to not listen to that kind of pre-programming and realize that in today's world, it's so incredibly important Um when supposedly we're retiring, that we realize we probably have 30 years ahead of us. And to be, you know, they say there are three things that will determine how successfully we age. Number one, staying engaged in life. Mm-hmm. That's what you talk about, having a reason to get up and get out of bed. Um, social connections is number two. It's the friends, not just the daughter who's coming over to take care of you. It's friends that you can call and share your joys as well and your sorrows with and and get together and just chit chat. Um, And the third one is having a sense of purpose. And that doesn't mean that you have to go, you know, work on some philanthropic association. It can be having a garden that needs you to get up and go out and weed it. Um, It can be Um, as simple as having these three books you bought that you want to read, but you have to have a reason to put those feet on the floor in the morning and get dressed 
and get up and still stay engaged in life. And that's really the most critical things. It's friendships. It's engagement. That's what people miss. Frankly, right now, while we're in this pandemic and in this quarantine, that's what people miss. You know, when you get older, it's not so much the the number in your in your uh, bank account. Yeah. It's having friends and having a reason to get up and be part of life. And we're seeing that right now as people are alone. What are they really missing? Um, they're not missing the fact that they can't go to a certain store. They're missing being with friends. But thank God we have Zoom. Yeah. And it's seemingly, seemingly it's a verb now because I've been Zooming with a lot of people. <laughs> I know. So have we. And it has kept us in touch. And yeah. it, it, it did save me. My, it did save me because I missed my grandchildren. I was just ready to take a trip to Colorado when all that hit. Yeah. And I, I canceled it. And it was six months before I saw the, the one-year-old and the four-year-old. They changed so much in those months. And, oh, I cried. It was it was bad. But, you know, at least I was able to get out. It was in an air environment that I could. Yeah. And the Zooming did help a lot. Uh, so I, you know, it, it does keep our sanity. You do believe age is just a number. There's no question because you live that you truly yeah. do because oh, you're not. Boy, do I, yeah. you know, I start the book, um, with an interview I was doing with the Hollywood reporter and I was doing a special series cause I do things for the today show and I was doing one on the importance of social connections and friendships as we age. And I was excited to you know, talk about this to this Hollywood reporter and this young guy, and he answers the phone when I called in for the interview. And his first question to me was, well, Miss London, what is it going to be like for you going back to morning television as a senior citizen? I almost fell off my chair. I mean, okay, fine. Technically I am, but I've never really thought of myself as one. And I'd never actually been called a senior citizen. And, you know, it made me think afterwards, is that how he sees me? He Googles me. He sees my age. You know, it's not just talking to other women that I, I, I didn't want to just talk to them about their bodies and about their bladders and about their forgetfulness, but also about how they feel about aging and how, you know, others see us and how that, that we want to stay vibrant and not to let, you know, some little guy like that who's probably not shaving I know. Change our opinion of ourselves because our mindset is maybe one of the most important things. We can be incredibly diligent about all of our health checkups and about eating right and exercising, but it's your mindset also, you know, believing that you are still capable of doing many things, being open to opportunities and making plans and continuing to challenge yourself. Um, because when you do, life is, life is really fun and interesting and challenging. It's nice to have something to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, woe is me. This is the end. Or I don't, you know, it it is a mindset. There's no question. And you do talk heavily in the book and you use your mother as an example. Uh, Is it Glitzy Gladys? Is that Glitzy Gladdy? Yes. Glitzy Gladdy. (laughs) Oh, she sounded marvelous. Oh my gosh. Um, People who read the book say they feel like they know Glitzy (laughs) Gladdy. I just loved her and I loved her energy, but I, I just related so much to your book because I, I kind of paralleled my mother with 
with Gladdy and um, and the fact that she was so positive and and just was such an influence on you as your father even yeah. posthumously was as well. And it's so inspiring, Joan. I love it. But I also love you have a lot of quotes in there, which I'm going to steal some. Uh, I loved them in the book, which I really like. So ladies out there and men who are, are listening, you need to read the book because it is very inspiring or give it as a gift if you're younger, um, because it really is. But I loved um, one of them was for those in their 40s or maybe 50s. When I asked for a smoking hot body, menopause was not what I had in mind. But I love chapter 26. Do you remember that one? Oh, yes. I want to be cremated. It's my last chance for a smoking hot body. <laughs> that was great. I loved them. They were so, how fun to write the book. And thank it you so much. It was so much fun. Joan London, uh, always a treat and such a pleasure. But before I leave you, I want to say one more thing. Um, one other thing I happened to notice on, I think it was Facebook Live, you were also helping uh, those of us who can't seem to navigate, uh, and I'm turning to you as a journalist here, how to navigate the internet with what's oh. true and what's false. And it's media-wise for seniors that you're involved media with. Media-wise for seniors. And Please explain I really, that. I really recommend, they, they started out with a program for high school students. They thought okay. they'd try to get them young to be able to tell the difference between you know, fact and fiction or opinion or misinformation or conspiracy theory. Then they then they did one for college students. Now they have one for uh, seniors, really boomers and seniors. And I got to tell you, as I've spent my whole life as a journalist, you know, seeking out facts. I learned, and it's a it's a free online course. Facebook is a partner; they're giving the course online. Go to MediaWise for Seniors. It's really important in this world that we're living in. Yes. Not don't share things until you've done a reverse search and they'll show you how to do a reverse search to find out is somebody trying to get you to think this way or is it really fact? We have to, this, and seniors grew up in a time where they believed everything. And they didn't have to question anything that they read in the paper. I was really kind of the paper. And it, there was, you know, the major stations. But now with so many stations on the air that have their own agenda, you really... And, the, and forget the online, there's just, they probably see misinformation all day long, but seniors sometimes hit that share button because they want to help their friends and help other people. But yet they can really, especially when we're dealing with a pandemic and a, and a deadly virus, you have to really be careful that what you're sharing is fact. So true. And I was pleased to see that you were part of that. And yes. I learned a lot at the Facebook Live. So people, anyone Good. one of us watching can join in if you when you do another one. So uh, they yeah. can go and live. And it lives. It lives on yeah. my Facebook page. Oh, so good. they can go and see that one interview um, with Alex Mahadavan, who is a fact checker. Yeah, it was fascinating. I, I yeah. learned a lot as well. So Joan, thanks again. And you thank take you, care. Thank now. you. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. That was our guest journalist, broadcaster, and New York Times bestselling writer, Joan London. We spoke with her via Zoom in October of 2020 about her newest book, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A candid conversation about aging by publisher Forefront Books. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking With Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The interviewer and producer for the video version of this program was Victoria Babu. Video editor was Greg Kopp. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. 
Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. AGC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking With Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain. Podcast audio editing by Paul Langdon. And I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to the St. Louis County Library and Left Bank Books. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media. You wake up, you get dressed, you prepare for a day of challenging and inspiring young minds. But maybe all you get is frustration and anxiety. You are a teacher. In the Classroom Matters podcast, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of education. We talk to people such as Kim Bearden, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy, Ken Williams, creator of Unfold the Soul, teacher of the year Beth Davey, and so many more insightful educators. Because your voice matters, your experience matters, your classroom matters. Classroom Matters with Christy Hool, a new podcast from Educate.today. Subscribe and download now.